This week on Crime World... There was a Republican police from 1920. I mean, the IRA was effectively trying to run an underground government. And actually, there was a crime wave. 1919-1920, there's a wave of bank robberies, post office robberies, robberies of individuals, robberies of pubs in Dublin and in rural areas as well. So the IRA tried to actually clamp down on that. They, on occasion, solving bank robberies and giving the money back to the banks. Now, I'm Nicola Talent, and you can listen to my podcast, Crime World, wherever you get your podcasts. On this week's Big Tech Show, you might not think it could happen to you, but our guest this week explains how a significant number of Irish people may be falling victim to romance frauds online. Victims can feel a misplaced sense of shame. People can blame themselves. They feel embarrassed. And so they don't want to tell family, friends. They don't want to report it to the police. In some cases, of course, the victims are already in relationships. They're married. They have an extra reason to keep that quiet. The Big Tech Show, available on all podcast platforms. Platforms. Leia Healthcare. It's good to live. Proud sponsor of the Left Wing with Luke Fitzgerald. Taylor O'Driscoll, Morgan, extra man is Fitzgerald. Oh, Fitzgerald is coming back inside. Let's have another. Darcy O'Driscoll oh. through the legs. Rob Carney out to Fitzgerald again. Stamped and scored. Hello and welcome to the Left Wing Independent.ie's rugby podcast in association with Leia Healthcare. I'm Will Slattery, delighted to be joined in studio, finally, by Luke Fitzgerald. Luke, hello. Will, sorry I was late. How you doing? Fresh off the golf course. Do you forgive me? I do, yeah. It was work, Will. It was Getting work. in a quick 18, closing uh, the deals. No, no no deals were closed. We had a lot of fun, though. A lot of fun. Met a few nice, uh, few, few nice customers. Um, I was playing with a nice guy from the bank as well, so it was good. It's a good crack. So work, the working life isn't all bad. It certainly isn't. No, I like the working life. Um, I don't know. Like I've the transition's been easy. I I've yeah, loved it. Quick um, eighteen, like. Yeah. Look, sure. We, what, 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 like, what else would you rather be doing on a <laughs> over an afternoon, over, over Tuesday afternoon? It was great. So uh, no, a bit of fun. And uh, yeah, no, the working life's been good. Will. Lots of people say, "Oh, you'd be dreading it." And you were There was actually out there in the course. They were asking me, "Like, what's the transition been like?" It's actually been great. Mm. Enjoy it. I've enjoyed the podcast. You enjoying the podcast? <laughs> yeah, it's been great, Greg. Yeah. What did you watch the last? That was a wry answer there. That <laughs> was a wry smiley. Well, I was sitting here for 40 minutes waiting for you to arrive. Well, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. I forgive you. Do you? I you do. wouldn't bring it up again if you didn't. I you did. said already you did. Are we done with it? <laughs> no, we're done. We're, we're done. We're okay, done. Grand, we're right. Done. We're good. We're done. Will's not happy for Well, us. just He's for not the happy listeners, when you're working. Gav, you don't need Gav moaning. Gav just toughs it out. He's, you know, the strong, silent type. And look at you moan about it on air. Because he gets paid by the minute. So, like, the, the, lo- the longer the you are, You're welcome, the Gav. more Gav gets You're paid. You're welcome. I get paid a flat fee. <laughs> I did it for you, Gav, but split it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Go on. Sorry, well, Will. The earnings here is about 90-10 between the two of us, I would think, for the for the show. <laughs> and rightly so, Will. I mean, what are you bringing to the... Like, who have you brought on the show? Yeah, that's fair point. There you go. Um, bring on someone you bring on a big dog and uh, and listen sure I'll, I'll split it with you see like the listeners this is what you have to deal with when you're working with a famous name you know they, they start talking like this belittling the lesser person talking down to, to the lesser person uh, well see Will you, you a young up and coming journalist taking being see, bullied, ever writing about being do, bullied. Only, you've already been writing about good feats I've actually been involved in good <laughs> feats do you know what I mean you're just writing about them so you know you get you need a bit of stick you give exactly. me a stick all, all being year being bullied by a former Ireland international this is what this is yeah. what you're, I've been subjected to it's actually to. quite nice I get a chance to have a go back at a journalist <laughs> every now and then <laughs> 
pocket image. Um, I don't worry, that's what I said. I, I mitigated with a little every now and then. So, yeah. um, what did you? Where did you watch the match this weekend? In a pub in London. Oh. I was at a wedding. Yeah. Um, in a place called Avalon. There. Yeah, it was nice. I watched it in an unexpected place. McAleer's pub in Dungannon, County Tyrone, en route to Derry. Derry? What were you doing there? I was uh, covering a Gaelic football match in Derry on Saturday afternoon, so I left a little early and I, I googled r- pubs to watch rugby Ulster. And Belfast Telegraph, thankfully, had a list of 10 pubs. This one seemed the least threatening on the en route. Threatening? <laughs> you're, man, you're in Ireland. Like, I you're didn't in know Lady what to Grand. expect. I didn't know what to expect. So I nipped uh, in the McAleer's pub, myself on the barman. <laughs> Who would a surprising enthusiasm for rugby? I didn't know what kind of area. Although Dungannon is a big rugby club there. It's a big rugby They won the area. AIL there. I think David Humphreys is from Dungannon. Yeah, it's a big rugby But rugby it was a Peter Canavan pub I was in, definitely. Uh, oh, was it? There was, there was, it was and a they sh- had the rugby there? was there. a shrine. They did, yeah. There was a, oh, and I didn't have stuff. to ask or anything. Uh, probably a sh- infiltrating the, the Catholic community up there. Exactly, yeah, it's nice yeah. to see, yeah. Yeah, so I, I did a whistle-stop tour of Northern Ireland, got to take in the game, so that was good. Brilliant, yeah. Uh, what was the football like? Good? Ah, uh, yeah. It was I a, heard the North, the, the uh, football up north has been a bit dour so far this year, has it? Yeah, it was Derry versus Kildare. Oh, it was decent. It was an all right game, yeah, to be fair, considering... I, do you know, was I reading somewhere that someone was giving out about the... Maybe, oh, do you know, it was probably Colin Parkinson. I actually, I actually really enjoy him. He just loves... He's like... It's abusing. a plugging a rival podcast, a rival... Well, it's not. It was on Twitter. It was okay. on Twitter. Yeah, Woolly. Uh, he's actually. I, I did a thing when they were. He was actually a bit of crack. He's a nice fella. Um, but um, I was reading. He was abusing something to do with the He's not shy, is he? No, he's not. He's absolutely not shy. But uh, he was abusing rug- or Gaelic football up north, saying it was fairly dour. But anyway, um, you had a good. You enjoyed it anyway. I did. Yeah. And were Kildare any good? No, yeah, they were considering they had lost to Carlo like two or three weeks I previously. Saw that. So, I yeah. saw Shoni O'Brien was on. There was and did Carlo have a good result in the hurling as well or something weird? No, uh, yeah, did they? I think they might be in. Could they have some weird yeah, feeling? They had a good a good day out in the hurling as don't well. Don't ask me any follow ups. <laughs> I won't. I but this is your area. I know that's uh, why I don't want any follow ups. Okay, on. but they had, they had a good one in the football, and uh, I believe our league through to the final, the semi final against Dublin. During the Leinster final against Dublin. Leinster yeah. final against Dublin. Yeah. yeah, that's a bit. That's a bit of a turn up, is it? Yeah. Well, enough. Gaelic football talk. Go on, sorry, yeah. We talk about anything. We're allowed yeah. to talk about anything. Dave doesn't bother us. Dave <laughs> Cordy is the big boss man, folks, and he lets us do what we want. Well, we'll bring We have free reign, Will. We do, yeah. We can talk about whatever we want. Is there anything else? Feelings. Talk about? No, no, F- we won't talk about feelings. Feelings. No. <laughs> no, I remember you went on Captain and talked about loving being I in didn't. love. I didn't. No, I did. I did. Sadly, you were like, you had this like really convoluted 10 minute analogy about being in love and like different girlfriends. Oh, but he did ask me. You asked me about that. So I was going to obviously be honest. I try and be honest whenever I can. You For the most part. You don't want to share anything about your feelings or your love life? No, no. Shout out, to, shout out to the Mrs. Ashling. She never <laughs> listens, but uh, she supports. She does support when she can. So, uh, well, you're dressed head to toe in golf gear. When are we doing that golf double date that you promised that we could do? Because you, I saw your footage in the in the driving range. You told me that was a good swing. I was lying to you there. I lied to you. But I wasn't on air, so I wasn't lying. <laughs> so I was lying. Sorry, excuse me. Um, confusing myself now. But... Um, yeah, no. Uh, plus, I can't get a bird for you. Like, where, who's going to play golf with you? You can't, but that'd be embarrassing with that swing, man. I don't know. I, I'm, I'm a work in progress. Like, Ashling's better than you. She's only just started. So, <laughs> you know what I mean? That'd be embarrassing for you. That'd be, be really embarrassing. You, yeah, a few more lessons and I'll get you a double date. Okay, I've had enough with this brow beating. <laughs> <laughs> 
this is really nice. Gav laughing away here as well. Usually I'm getting the stick like every week and look at him squirming oh, in his chair. This is great. I'm loving it. sweating, dabbing my brow. <laughs> Can't take this. My upper merciless. lip. Yeah, like well, Trump. Yeah. As I've said it before, <laughs> as I've said before, it's funny when I do it to you. It's less funny when the Grand Slam Heineken Cup winner starts belittling a lowly oh, journalist. See, this is really, you can tell you're a journalist because you just position yourself nice and sneakily <laughs> sure. saying, oh, well, you can't it's, attack it's, me. Yeah, it, yeah, you yeah, can't. Yeah. It's just not fair and it's just so like... I'm in a lose-lose is what it, you're saying. You, you are in a lose-lose. Fair enough. That I, I like getting a bit of stick anyway. Yeah, I like a bit of stick. It's a bit of crack. On that note, I'll bring in Keen Tracy, Irish independent rugby correspondent. Keen, thanks so much for joining us. Sorry to pull you away from your summer festivals and music gigs. I know this is, you probably haven't talked rugby in weeks. No, it's been a nice change, but it's good to be back here, though. <laughs> uh, we'll leave the Ireland match for a second, King, because I want to talk or start this off with, for me, what was the kind of big talking point of the weekend or the big controversy of the weekend was from that France-New Zealand game, that double hit by Sam Kane, Kane and Offa. Going to give his name a go... Tanuga Fassi. Um, I'm glad you get. I'm glad you gave that a go anyway. Yeah, yeah had, the, had, the, had so it written. Yeah, had yeah. it written phonetically down my. Eight out of ten. No, no, I'm just, a, I'm just a, you know a great linguist. Uh, Remy Grosso still in hospital. Isn't allowed to fly home because he has a double fracture in his skull. World Rugby. Obviously, Lou Pierce didn't deal with it at the time. He, he decided that it was a penalty only. That it was a slip into the tackle. Now World Rugby have kind of backed him and said that to. I'm not even going to try the second time. He deserved a yellow card and Kane was a penalty only. But for me, it's just a kind of a, a really bad decision. It's a real perplexing decision. I don't understand how one, Pierce would have gotten it wrong, not used a TMO, and two, how World Rugby would look back on it and then come to the same conclusion. Yeah, it was interesting because when it when it happened, Luke Pierce clearly like could see how serious it was because he told all the players to stay down on the ground until the medics came on. So clearly he had seen, you know, something that would suggest that something serious had happened here. But yeah, you're right. It it, it sends out for me a really, really bad message. I mean, rugby always claims to be at the forefront and it probably is in terms of concussion management and things like that. But to actually retrospectively go back and look at it now with all the videos, it just it doesn't get any better anytime you see it, does it? I think Sam Kane is probably fair enough, but Tui Feluso, Tui Felusi, is it like it was? It was reckless. It was absolutely reckless. Um, like you said, Remy Grosso is still in hospital. Can't fly home to France because the doctors are worried about the cabin pressure in a plane. I mean, what the injuries? That just sums up how good or how bad the injury is. Now, obviously. We don't want the injury to dictate, you know, how bad the tackle was. But even at the time when you could see it, it was just absolutely reckless. It was high. It was dangerous. And it had a massive effect on the game. I mean, it, that's almost irrelevant. But it, it was told... It, was it high? Oh, it was around the neck. Yeah, absolutely. Well, the so shoulder there, caught him. So, so there's one, there's one seatbelt, right? Which is... A penalty in a card. Yellow. Is it a penalty in a card? I know it is. It is with the laws now, I isn't know. it? No, but considering the card he gave earlier in the match to the French that, second row. See, that, oh, sorry, that, sorry, sorry. That, that's sorry. That's where we're talking about something different. There, we're talking about the inconsistencies mm. and New Zealand getting the rub of the green, which seems to happen quite a lot. Um, but like, he is falling into the tackle. It is difficult when you have anticipated where someone is going to be. You've decided you're going to be tackling the person. You know you have the angle, and then all of a sudden, someone comes in from the side pulls him at this angle that pulls him down while he's actually going down and dipping into contact. I think that's it fair, is, but there's no arms. He doesn't wrap. It was a shoulder. But it, So yeah. even if he made the, the right contact in the right way, it was still just a shoulder charge but for me. But we don't know that because once the other guy gets involved, once uh, I don't know who the other New Zealand tackler is on the right-hand side. Sam Kane was Sam the... Sam Kane, yeah. sorry. Once he's in that position, like, like where are you putting your arm? Like, where, where do you put your arm? It is, sorry, I agree. 
I sir, I agree. It is a bad tackle. I think it is, but I think in terms of outrage, um, I think there's there are other factors at play here. Um, I think like the real issue, um, obviously is no sorry, the real issue. Obviously, we hope Remy Grosso is okay. Um, that is a really serious issue, but we can't mitigate for all these things all the time in sports. We're moving towards this thing. There are you're putting yourself at risk when you're in these positions. Now, can we manage it? We try to, but we're not always going to be able to. And I think, look, we don't know how he's going to be finishing that tackle because I think, and I think World Rugby have made the decision as well that he is kind of dipping late into the tackle. He's gotten there's another factor with you know Sam Kane. You're telling me with the seatbelt tackle, which does accentuate the position quicker. And I think it's an awkward collision. I think you know there should be a bit more of, a, of an effort with the arm. But once there's another guy involved, like where do you get the arm? Like how do you like do you now go like so a person's you know you're about to tackle a person and you're here you're about to tackle them. But all of a sudden if the if the collision area if there's nowhere for you to put your arm here is it like is it here like where where do you put it? It's kind of an awkward one. Will like no I I, I, I actually think you're making one. some good points there. But I just feel I just feel like watching that replay as many yeah. times as I have that. He was only making that tackle one way, but I think he's anticipated him coming in at a certain shape. So like, like remember, like all these things are muscle memory, right? So like, when 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 I see you coming in, and I see your body shape, and I know there's nowhere for you to go, I know I'm I'm ready for collision. I'm ready for collision here. But all of a sudden, Sam Kane comes in from your right hand side, pulls you down. So he's he like, yes, Remy Grosso is probably coming down lower into going to lower into the tackle to try and bust through because he knows he knows as well that I'm not gonna even try. Uh, do you want to say it? No. The New Zealand guy who... <sighs> I almost tried it again, but I didn't have the guts. <laughs> um, what's his second name? Oh, let's give me a second. It is a second name. name. Oh, is it? Oh, it's my God. Alfa is, is his first name. Is that the whole second name? Oh, my God. The All Blacks prop. With the great moustache. The All Blacks prop. So both of them are expecting his collision a certain way. They're, you can see, like, Rosso is trying to dip because he knows he's caught. He knows there's nowhere for him to go. Um, so he's, he's trying to brace and trying to get low to punch through contact. But then it obviously gets accentuated by Kane dragging the left shoulder down low into it. So like I think it's an awkward one. I think there's more at play here. I think the real issue for me, leaving aside the, the, the serious issue that Grosso has suffered, is the inconsistencies. I think every other referee, when they see this collision, is giving a yellow card. And given the yellow card that he gave France, I mean, that's a, it's a, just a poor but decision. But he didn't even go to the TMO for either of them. Mm. Yeah. I think it's which was even more you, you, you're right like it's exasperated by that decision he gave against France which was never was never a yellow card and then not to give anything in this instance that's probably why the French were so angered and look it did have a huge effect on the game I mean it ruined it as a contest and mm. in that 10 minutes I think New Zealand scored two if not three tries they ran riot um, I do I do see what uh, Luke's points um think they're well made but like is there not a responsibility on the All Blacks prop even still so when he's hammering into contact like that despite this yeah. change in direction it's really is it not difficult in the heat of battle like you're trying to you are trying to smash each other mm. like people like if you if you haven't played an international rugby match you just don't know you just don't know like you're in there it's a war zone like it's it's a proper war zone it's like going into a cage for a fight it's like you're trying to kill each other out there like you are uh, like to say to someone now, are you trying to be disciplined are you trying to do things the right way yes you are and you're trying to do it but are you going to back down from a collision when you are expecting someone to be in a certain position and like I said he's, I, I personally feel like he's got a little bit unlucky in that it, the position the bad position has been accentuated um, and I think where you put the arm in that scenario you know he probably should have the arm up 
and it should be more open. Shoulders should be more open rather than down, um, especially seeing as he can't get the arm around. Uh, and I do think it is. It isn't. But I it's feel not like a you're, perfect I, tackle. I feel like well, that's an explanation that it's really reaching to explain what we can see with our eyes was mm. not a good tackle. It's not a good tackle, but I don't think it's as bad. I think there's a few other factors at play here, and I think like it is a really physical game. I think like there's these, these collisions happen all the time. They do happen all the time, and yes, people get yellow cards. Leaving that aside, but. No, like a, a double fracture is really unfortunate. That's a there's a bit of bad luck here as well. Like that is at play. Like I mean, how many times you see someone getting that that hit and they just get up and they're like, jeez, that's that was a bad hit, and this you know the person gets the yellow card or whatever it is. And I do agree it should be that, but I just think there is a bit of a furore. So you there. agree that he shouldn't have been cited if you think it was a yellow card. I. I, I'm torn, Will. I'm sorry. I'm just trying to make the opposing argument because I think it, it, there is a lot of furore out there about about the collision, mm. and I think I feel like it's been guided. I, Luke, I tweeted a Lucas Jarlesque anti-referee tweet. Uh, yeah. Well, uh, look, I, I think that the real uh, like I I was really disappointed with the consistency. That was the thing. There's no consistency there in terms of referees ruling, and it's poor. You talk about the anger, though, just quickly about how everyone's making it. Do you think that's to both of you? Do you think that's because it's New Zealand and yeah? More, well, I was going to ask you. Do you, Keen, do you buy into this kind of conspiracy theory slash view that's held that the All Blacks? True. No, I wouldn't say deliberately, but do get maybe different treatment or maybe there's an intimidation factor that they don't get pinged the same way as other teams or they don't get penalised or punished the same way other teams do. I don't think it's a conspiracy, but I do think it's it's true. I mean, like, Richie McCaw, for all his greatness, like, made a career out of getting getting away with those... That, Two those, yellow that, cards and 140 like, caps. That's a seven. It, it, absolutely. Like, come on. Absolutely. That's ridiculous. For a guy who mastered the dark arts. So there ha- like, yeah. there has to be something in It is a pressure when you're going there, but, mm. um, yeah, I, I suppose, like, referees have to be stronger in doing it and not even going to the TMO it just seems to happen like so, yeah, so you, I, I don't know I, I, sorry sorry I'm not I, I promise I don't think it's a conspiracy theory but for whatever reason they seem to be involved in a lot of these ones and they seem to get the rub of the green in a lot of them is that is yeah, oh, oh, that was cra- that was a hundred percent a red card yeah. every time was a red card mm-hmm. in uh, and then this like I mean the Sam Kane if we're talking about I thought that was unlucky as well because Robbie Henshaw, he wasn't mm. expecting to have a collision with Robbie spun out of another tackle. And I thought that was a bit unlucky as well. But the, the Fekatoa one was a 100% a red card. He saw him a, a good bit out, targeted his head. And like, like that happens all the time. They seem to just get away with it. I don't know why. I don't think it's a conspiracy. I don't know whether the games are quicker when, when, when they're playing and, and they're, and they're you know, for, for whatever reason... The referee is operating at a different pay. I'm tra- I, was, I swear to God, I've been thinking about this. I think some referees are a little intimidated by the black jersey or the aura. Or d- I don't know. I, I'm sorry. I'm trying to get to my to why I feel like <laughs> they. I, I I was thinking about it at the weekend. I'm like, yeah. Usually the games the All Blacks are quicker. They're better quality. They play better rugby. I'm thinking, are the referees tired? Are they? <laughs> Are they making these like because that obviously that's a yeah. huge thing with making bad decisions and it seems to happen quite a lot with them. I don't know why, but. Are there things like that at play here? Are there an intimidation factor with the jersey? Do they manage? They always talk about managing the the the, the relationship with the referee really, really well. They put in time there, um, but but Ireland put in a lot of time there as well. And I don't, you know, oftentimes I feel like, and I thought there was a few <laughs> things in the weekend with them that I just thought oh, I'm not sure that was, you know, that seemed a bit poor. Um, there is obviously a hometown thing, but I mean, sure, the Aviva, they, you know. 
was Dublin. That, yeah, that wasn't. <laughs> that was just shocking refereeing, you know. Um, but that guy's been poor a few times. But do, do you think? I mean, Luke Pierce is a young, like rather his first in, test match? like possibly. You know, I was just going to say at this level. Do you think there's an element of him trying to make this big decision and get it right, and almost trying to make a name for himself because oh, I don't need my TMO. Whereas I think a more experienced referee is going takes to take time. Takes now. his time. Mm. Yeah, well, I, I, that's the only explanation because it's just because. It's, it's, we usually have the opposite criticism that people use the TMO for every decision mm -hmm. no matter how obvious it is and that's why it's just so surprising that it, it was one that required further view but they I don't know how you can just have one look at that do you know I feel, I feel like the biggest thing for referees Will I just think uh, and sorry I don't know how you feel about this guys but for me looking at it they're touch judges like they have to get more involved like they just have to like the offside line is it's impossible to police consistently throughout the game and I think it's one of the, it's a big danger for the game whenever I look at it I always think like do we need to drop a person from the pitch do because like so like a really good defense is suffocating nowadays like the Aussie defense and we'll get to that obviously but it's suffocating like do we need you know the way rugby league have gone to 13 people like do we need to do something similar personally I think there's a step before that and I think we like the touch judges they just need to be active all the time they just do and they need to set out the stall early in the game so that teams know that you know if they are going to be on the edge in terms of the offside line that they're going to get pinged and that the ref the referee is too much going on at, at rook time there's too many factors to consider it's too it's happening too quick for them to be continually policing that and i just feel like the the touch judges we need to figure out a way to get them more involved in the game and to be looking at that. That's a big part of the game for me that I think the, the the referees need to look at. I think if I was looking at the game and looking at the quality of the game, we want more attacking rugby. We want opportunity to attack. And we want to look good defence is good as well because that creates opp opportunities in transition, etc., etc. right? But for the most part, we want the the you know, we want a slight favour for the attacking team. We want to make sure that the offside line is policed correctly. Um, and you can still be very dominant there if you're if you're organised and etc cetera, etc. Cetera. You can slow the ball down, but that for me, that's a key thing they need to get right. They're getting that wrong, and that's a big danger for the game for me going forward in terms of the quality of it anyway. And I'd be watching. That. I think the touch judges, and it comes back to those decisions as well. If the touch judge sees it, if he has a chance to look up on the big screen, or she has a chance to look up on the big screen in the middle of it, like they need to get that information into the referee. It's not it's not all about him. You can't have one guy policing the whole thing. It's just too hard to get everything right. Do you, do you agree? Sorry, I was I was trying to pose you a question there. Do you, am I right? Do you think I'm right in any of that, or do you, or am I off the mark? Well, like touch judges definitely should be more vocal. You often, I often feel that they just go with what the referee is saying, and they very rare. You very rarely see a robust discussion on the pitch between a touch judge saying one thing and a referee saying the other. It's usually like the referee saying, "I've seen this," and he's like, "Yep, yep, yep, yep." Okay. What do you think, Ian? You, do you yeah, no, I mean, a, a lot of responsibility, I suppose, gets put on the TMO then as well, instead of actually, mm. you know, you looking at it and making your decision, which goes back to Luke Pierce, like, you know, use, mm. the, use the options that you have, not even the, to not even go to the TMO was, was just crazy. But you don't want referees trying to be, you know, Billy Big Balls to make a big decision to try and make a name for yourself. Because like I said, I think a Nigel Owens or someone more experienced takes his time and gets that right. And I think as well, like, they are conscious about... I, I, I think especially in the Southern Hemisphere they're really conscious about not slowing the game down so I wonder was that in the back of his mind he's trying to keep the pace of the game high um, the game was under massive pressure down there for viewing figures and like I think they're like we won fast we're like you know you see it in everything down there in, in championship and in tri-nations like they're trying to or not tri-nations in super rugby like they've all these weird like you know 
yeah, the, the fireworks or they have all these kind of weird silly things all the time like all the time like uh, stupid dances you know and they're encouraging all this kind of stuff and I think it's because they're really struggling for numbers and I think I wonder off the back of that a referee saying Rah. you know is Luke Pearce saying fuck no you know, don't even want to do that I think I'm actually just going to I'm going to go up my gut on this one rather than saying exactly as you say so more experience and I don't care that's not my job my job is to referee the game correct but just when you're talking about all the razzle dazzle they before the game got the start of the Ireland Australia game was absolutely painful thankfully I was only listening to that part <laughs> on the radio and I could, I could just like I actually had to turn it off I was like I'll just switch it on in five minutes for kickoff because it was just absolutely mortifying to listen to that well they're feeling squeezed big time now yeah, they really are feeling really, squeezed in Australia it's, it's almost force feeding you the, the entertainment because imagine the IRFU had to like wheel out Don Lennon onto the pitch TV <laughs> before a game and start like spouting this rubbish just, just to get some sort of interest. Yeah. Yeah, it was It's great. difficult viewing, yeah. Like I, but I think they are trying things there to try and get the get, you know, people engaged in rugby across Australia. I think it's really dying for whatever reason. I mean, obviously league is fairly embedded in the culture there. I mean you got Origin and that's probably the biggest mm. uh, is it the biggest sporting event there? Well, Bosby's Mozzie well, Rules. Yeah, uh, AFL. I was well, saying, AFL I was, maybe. I was but. saying to somebody today that in in Australia, like rugby unions mostly played by, you know, posh people who live on the coast and he responded to me, Well that's kind of similar to Ireland, you know. <laughs> bar Limerick oh, but yeah. it's on the coast I suppose <laughs> but like Limerick everyone plays it's the yeah. only place isn't it really like where, where uh, and in fairness now and I would say like rugby they've made a huge huge push and it is grow growing it is getting a lot stronger you see it now especially in Leinster in the counties where you know traditionally not very very strong I mean to move away from the Luke Fitzgeralds to the Tyke Furlongs but uh, like but Tyke Furlongs on the coast in Wexford as well, well come <laughs> on. Uh, no but you've got like guys like I suppose Shawnee O'Brien uh, you know um, Bernard Jackman lots of these guys they were big in terms of getting involved. Like, I mean, there's there's huge numbers playing. Uh, the Carlo, I mean, they're, they're consistently in the Towns Peter Cup. Uh, Tullo as well, you know, consistency, consistently around the Towns Cup. I think Ennis Gorthy, mm -hmm. did they win it this year? Yeah, like, there's lots Tullo, of teams yeah. that are like, like they've, they've, they are doing a good job to spread it. And rugby probably isn't in the same position as it is in Australia where it's really, really struggling. I mean, Ireland, it's, I think it's really, you know, it's really strengthening. You know, I think it obviously helps that the teams have been successful. Always helps. Well, we'll move on to the big game on Saturday, Keen. Now, I guess going into the game, we we thought Joey Carberry's performance would be what dictated the result. It would be the big talking point, and it hasn't really materialised like that in the end. I guess were you surprised with how I guess Ireland were kind of out muscled? They lost to collisions, and they were also picked apart a bit out wide as well. So there was a lot to ponder after the first test for Joe Schmidt. Yeah, there, there was a lot to ponder, but I mean, I think I was writing, writing about this in yesterday's paper. I mean, the, the glass is definitely half full with this performance. So, I mean, I thought Brian, Brian Habana was on uh, TV on for the... Friend of the podcast. Yeah, Ooh. absolutely. Yeah, get, get that plug in. Um, <laughs> but he was saying, like, you know, this is a very good Ireland team. We're only missing one or two players. Like, I mean, it wasn't. Like, yeah, this, yeah, this yeah. was not Ireland's first team. It just goes back to Luke's point at that how rugby was struggling so badly in Australia. This was a huge game mm, for Australia. Mm. It was a much bigger game for Australia than it was for Ireland. But you reverse that now this weekend, the pressure is all on Ireland. But Joey Carberry, yeah, I thought Joey Carberry did quite well. I mean, I don't know what out half on the back foot, like the pack were getting demolished mm. up front. I'm not sure what out half would have been able to do much more than what he did. He shipped a couple of huge hits. He got back to his feet, you know, he wanted more. I was actually kind of surprised he, he got taken off as early as he did. I thought he might have gotten five, 10 more minutes and it was actually funny like Ireland were winning when Johnny Sexton came on you know um, I think the out wide thing is a, is, is, a, is a major concern because Ireland got picked off several Currently times Curly Beale was like, just had a field day the best player on the pitch yeah. but like they had Cheka, Michael Cheka deserves huge credit because they had massively done their homework on from what Ireland in the Six Nations look how many times Ireland conceded tries from, from out wide and again we saw it and even the try that Falau scored that a bit of controversy there as well that was scored from going wide too so and Corey Abede almost got 
over as well. Only Absolutely. a phenomenal Absolutely, stalker yeah. tackle. So, yeah, but yeah. there's loads to work on. But I mean, like it was a bit of a wake up call. But I mean, you you want to get those kind of things now, don't you? You don't want to get it this time next year. And I think th the run out will be unbelievably beneficial for the likes of Joy Carberry. I thought Rob Herring did very well, massively underrated. I think Niall Scannell is under big pressure now to get back that third third spot in the hooking. And I thought John Ryan did quite well as well. So I mean we're going to see a much different team I think this weekend the big guns are going to be rolled out and I think that will be a totally different game to what we saw last week and Luke as the preeminent breakdown expert among the back three players in international <laughs> rugby uh, what, what was your reading that Pocock oh. seemed to just make hay Michael Hooper was really effective Jordy Murphy seemed to struggle as, as you know opposite Pocock in that regard and, and Ireland yeah. ball was slowed down they were turned over quite a bit I think that you probably. I mean, Jordy Murphy's been playing some brilliant rugby this year, but I think David Pocock and 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 Michael Hooper are just class. They're just outstanding. They just look so robust there. I know um, Pocock's really, really suffered with injury. Like he's been, like he's just been. It's a ravaged career, really. Um, but he is. I mean, he's caused. You know, he, he caused New Zealand massive trouble. You know, uh, caused a sit out. You know, all those like he's been performing against the best teams for ten years, and he's been a nightmare for everyone. So, it's not surprising. Uh, I thought he did really well. I thought he picked and chose his battles really well. Um, everything slowed up around him. I think is is very physical in the contact. I thought Hooper kind of quietly went about his business, but I think he's brilliant. I think he's an excellent carrier for them as well. Um, I thought across the board. I even thought Curly Beale was really physical. Uh, he had a great hit. I think at one stage on Connor Murray. Uh, you don't often see that with him, you know. Yeah, he makes his tackles usually, but um, I think Michael Checa, as you say, Keen, like he deserves a huge amount of credit. They they they, and I think did he outsmart Joe Schmidt? You think? I don't know if he necessarily outsmarted him. Like I remember, like Ireland are coming together. You know, it's kind of a fairly mishmash. It's not their first team, as Keen says. I think he's right. Um, you know, there was a few good few changes in that pack that make a big difference. Um, it is really difficult to win a test match away from home, I will say that. But remember, Ireland only come together after they've been three or four months away, you know. Um, you know, so it's, it's difficult to get it all to come together in the first test match. Um, and I think as, uh, like, the, you know, it was still a close enough test match. I know Australia were definitely the better team. Ireland had a few areas where you'd say, I mean, I thought some of the decision making was odd. I thought the... You know, I thought going in the first half continuously going to Israel Faleo off kickoffs. Like, Bizarre. I mean, I don't know whether they think they're they're delusional if they think Rob like Rob Carney is the second, probably the second best player in the world. Maybe, well, uh, you could make a case for Mike Brown and probably for uh, Ben Smith when he's back. Um, but he's up there in the top five. But Israel Faleo is by far and away the best player in the world in the air. He is incredible. Going to him off kickoffs, it was just like those things. They're big things. Joe Schmidt, like that's like his is is he places a huge importance on those things. Getting momentum there, making it difficult for the opposition. Like that that's was really strange because yeah, you know you know how Joe would have obviously thought a lot about that. Why? I thought that was the I yeah. Was like, what, is, what am I watching here? Yeah. Like, what am I? I was like, is this actually? They look like they haven't planned. Because like, like if you'd even watched Super Rugby the weekend before, you would have seen him pluck about three or four beauties out of the air. Like the one of the best, best tries was absolutely like comfortably the best. He's not even. It's not even close. It's not even a se like close. Who's second? The second best in the air. He's the best in the air by a mile. The one, the one that he took above Stockdale. I mean, Stockdale is a big lad, he's and he's six three, six four. Yeah, yeah and he, boy, yeah. he like he looked like he was a full body length above him. He when does he took that him. thing with the knee. You know the air building where they use yeah. the other person's body it's, to get like another it's, lift. It's incredible to watch, though, isn't it? Oh, it's amazing. It's, it's and he's such an amazing athlete. skill. Like, yeah, well, he's I like. I mean, look, he's by far and away like he's an outstanding rugby player. Mm. Like he is on. 
whatever we about his political views and all that kind of crap, like uh, sorry, religious, I suppose, is what it, you know, rather than p- political, but um, like as a pure rugby player, like he's just class. absolutely class. He's so he's huge. Like he's about six four, six five. This guy, but he plays as if he's a but b- his even bigger. Doesn't he? Work his handling, yeah. like everything. Like, he's just such a danger every time he touches the ball. Um, and I think it shows. Like I mean, you do need to have an attacking fullback, mm-hmm. like you do against the best teams. All the best teams have a brilliant attacking fullback. And it's one thing I think with Ireland that you know we miss Sebo there. Um, he's not as good as he's People, not as good as like as in the Six Nations. Rob Carney he got a lot of go for ball. He looked sharp. Six Nations a bit different. Yeah, he looks sharp. Like, <laughs> come on, like <laughs> you know what I mean? Like he's brilliant in the air. Like that's what Joe wants. But like it, that's negated when you play against Israel Folau, and then you see what a real fullback looks like, as in like you know a proper Rolls Royce. Would you be tempted to throw Joe Carberry in at fifteen? I, I would. Yeah, I would. I think, um, and then you wonder, like, would there be, would they really go after us in the air then? And if if that was the case, and and they probably would. So like, there's there's pros and cons for for that. I just think, um, you know, people people go mad me all the time on Twitter for this, but I just think like you, you know, you don't get any passing, you don't get any real footwork, you don't get a massive amount of pace. Um, it's a really good attacking position. Like you, you know, you need to have something there. And I thought Ireland look a bit a little bit flat in that position like they couldn't really break them down there like they didn't have a huge amount of opportunities and, and Australia defended very well in the tight which does help but like I just thought like you look at New Zealand as well um, you know that back three uh, you know so dangerous from, from, that, from that position you know and I think you know we're lacking a little bit there the, the, the thing about Rob Kearney is like he generally does the basics so well and when mm. he does them well he makes other people look good but when he doesn't do the basics well because he didn't mm. do the basics well on Saturday that's when you're kind of looking and going could we maybe get a bit more? I'd actually like to see Jordan Larmer play get a get a game of fifteen. I don't think I think he's get kind of in the air. Do you think so? I think air, he's yeah. still he's, he's still trying to figure himself out in the wing. I, I actually I have no problem with starting him in the wing, but I think you know Keith Earls and Stockdale have have you know they, they deserve their spots there. But if Keith then, Earls is ruled out with a concussion, would you start Conway or would you start Larmer? Um, I think I might start Larmer, but um. It's a t- it's a tough call. Andrew Cummings had a brilliant season as well, mm. like and, and they're both kind of similar players. Uh, lovely footwork. I think Larmer probably is more is is probably more dynamic in terms of his footwork, but he is smaller as well. And Andrew's more used to the size and the weight. He's, of dealing and Conway, Conway's had an excellent season, right? He's, he's, a brilliant be, season. He he's really be, good in the air as well. He like, might be strong in the air. What did you make of the the, the one? The, there was about three opportunities Ireland had when they did get into the open field, and right frustratingly for me, they opted to kick the ball away or grubber kick it away or just do a chip kick Keeter or Stockdale and Conor Murray all had good chances in open field and it's just it was very frustrating I, I just don't understand why they took that option all three occasions if it was maybe something they'd seen pre-match or if it was just off the cuff and they went for it and it didn't come off it, it, I just found that part very frustrating yeah I mean maybe what the fact that they did it a couple of times like you said it might have been Schmidt's ploy I mean I think the Stockdale one he was very close to the to the touchline so you could kind of see what he was mm. thinking the, the Earls, Earls one full out like rejected it like a basketball absolutely. block but, in Ear- the touch, so. but Earls had also just after taking a knock to the head that he failed a HIA with so I mean you're kind of going mm. you, you should have went off clearly should have went off then because he didn't come back on but that was the next phase mm. after he took the bank to the head he had much more time than you're like because Falao just easily blocked it down but maybe it was a ploy that Schmidt like the big up against the bigger men try and get in behind them but mm. it didn't it certainly didn't work and that's I mean that's why we're going to need to see something different this week I'd imagine Ringrose will probably come back in for Aki I think, I think 12. I think for Aki with Henshaw twelve, yeah, I, I like I th- I saw like Bundy Aki was getting a bit of stick on Twitter, and I know that's an awful place to judge anything, but I was watching the game back, and I actually thought Bundy Aki did okay. He yeah. just he was just trucking it up very like he he maybe doesn't have the distribution, well he definitely doesn't have the distribution that Robbie Henshaw does, but I think we saw during the Six Nations when Gary came back into the team, Ireland are just a different attacking threat. He's also 
an unbelievably good defender. I think he's he he's he, he problem solves on the pitch, which is one of these buzz phrases that coaches always use nowadays. But he is excellent at it. I mean, there was, I think there was a moment in the Wales game where he kind of got someone got done on the outside, and you can just see him arcing around to cut it off. It's just really really clever. But I think they're a better attacking threat, and I think the centre has a better balance with with uh, Henshaw and Ringrose there. What did you make of uh, Robbie Henshaw's defence? Uh, he he kind of shot up once or twice in the first half and kind of slipped off the tackle or, or was kind of got his timing wrong. And he's such a good defensive centre that it was very jarring to see that because he's usually very, very solid. Was it a case that he maybe was a bit out of practice at 13 on the international stage or what did, What was your reading? Yeah, I'd say that's what it is, yeah. Uh, you know, he hasn't played much rugby. You yeah. know, he's been injured for, for, for a while and he came back and, you know, injured again. So... Uh, you know, cut him a bit of slack, I think. And I, I do think that they are different positions to defend at. You are a little bit more exposed at 13. But what Robbie's really good at at 13 and what makes Gary's job a lot easier is that for, like, I think Robbie's almost fearless in he keeps coming forward. It's a really hard thing to describe to people um, without actually being out in a pitch with someone. But there's a, mostly when you're using a hard defense, you get a lot of people who, when they're kind of, they're like, oh, I don't know if I'm going to make that. They just kind of sit and hold. That's a nightmare. If you're, if you're pressing hard and the guy on in your inside stops and holds, because exa- what, what, what happens then is, well, he, he's not going to miss his tackle. But what it does mean is if you're coming forward as well, uh, that the the ball player, the person who, the, the, who say, you're 12 in this case, if he stopped, the person who, who's opposite him stops, it gives him time to play make. And you're oftentimes really, really exposed. You're left with pure one-on-ones, or you're left coming forward with leaving a you know kind of a, a, that that kind of dog leg behind you. Um, so Robbie Henshaw is a brilliant twelve defender. I think he's really good at that. I love the way he just keeps coming forward because it drags you forward. It gives the the good the playmaker less time, and he al- almost always has to play the first option he sees rather than something really, really deceptive, um, which can be really hard to defend if say you you, you let off the gas, which lots of people do. Um, I think he's really good at that. They, they're a really nice pair. Um, I like to see the two Irish guys in there. Oh, I just, I'm just maybe I'm like a racist. I don't know. But <laughs> yeah. I just, yeah. Um, after all your rugby points and also, I just want to see the two Irish guys there. Like, I'm sorry, they're the, they're the best combination. But I was like, why? Like, why do we have New Zealand if you, guys? If in? you're prefacing your point with maybe I'm a racist, perhaps maybe it's not I, sorry. I'm I'm obviously t- that's obviously a joke. <laughs> but I'm just saying like I'm completely not. I just mean he's a New Zealander. Like he should be playing New Zealand. They are the best centre. They are. I don't. They are and the they are a best they combination are. as well. Uh, There's a better like, balance with, isn't it? Like I think the Rob Herring thing as well. Like what's like, like he's the sub hooker for Ulster. Like why <laughs> isn't like why are we not starting Scanlon? No, no, why no, are we not I starting Cronin? I liked your Cronin? tweet with Sean Cronin. But but Cronin isn't I like. Uh, I, Joe Schmidt has an issue with him. Mm. I'm serious, he does. There's something weird about it. There's something that he doesn't like about him. I, it's a personal thing, and I think it's fairly... I think it's bordering on poor form at this stage. Um, he's been the best hooker in the country for the last three years, uh, like over and above. Now, look, he's picked Rory Best as his captain, and Rory's loads of caps, and Rory's a good guy and a good player. But he's just no comparison. Like, he just... there's And from an attack perspective, like you'll get like two or three carries from Bestie in a game. Max... They'll say the the you know in international we might get one or two turnovers, but like you know Schnooker might get one or two of them as well. And for what you get, he's so much better. And uh, uh, honestly, watch that space. I have a feeling that I have a bad feeling about that. I, I think this, he mightn't this, start him this weekend either. I have a weird feeling about it. Yeah, I don't know why. I just think he doesn't like him. I, I just that'd be my gut on it. I think um, it's I think it's become like almost a personal thing. Mm. Uh, so look, we'll see. We'll wait and see on that one. I, I I just don't get it. I thought like this was my, for me. This was a big opportunity to blood in. Sean Cronin, you see how much different is like everyone goes on every time I say something on Twitter about Sean Cronin, like because I just don't get it. I just don't get why people aren't seeing it. I'm like they go, oh, the throwing. I was like, mate, 
every, every hooker who comes off the bench has crap stats. They just do. Like, you're coming on, oftentimes you're coming on the break of play, which is usually a line out. So you're going straight into a pressure line out somewhere. Um, if you look at his throwing stats when he's starting, like, he's outstanding, you know, and the rest of the game, there's just no comparison between the two. So I think that's a mistake. And I don't know why. It's nothing personal with Rob Herring. It really isn't. I just think, you know, I like to see two Irish, I like to see the Irish guys. I, lo- I like Scannell. Uh, I like Cronin. And I think they're the, they're, you know, I think they're actually better than best, the two of them. So uh, I don't know. I'd, I'd be interested. I'd like to see one of them start this weekend. Well, okay. While we're on selection issues, and I, I've been kind of going to bat for Ty Byrne a lot recently uh, based on his great form of the Scots this season. I would have loved to have seen him on the bench last mm. weekend for a bit of impact. And then, like, I, I don't often say I 100% agree with Neil Francis, but at the weekend, he kind of talked about Quinn Rue's impact off the bench. Like, 15 minutes, one pass, no carries, two tackles, one missed tackle. And if he's there for a scrummaging, the scrum was fairly minced on their own line and a key part of the game. Kind of wheel that one, though, Will, but yeah. Mm, fair I, I just, Sorry, sorry, go on. I, don't, go on. I just don't see, maybe as such a intrepid, esteemed rugby reporter, you could maybe <laughs> fill in the blanks for me on this one. I just don't see why he's in the squad even, let alone the 23. I mean, yeah, Joe Schmidt picks him regularly. I mean, I don't know, is it a blind spot? I mean, because I, I, I'm not sure what he brings either. When you're looking outside of the scrum, he doesn't do a whole pile. In a Connacht team that struggled this season, you're looking for leaders to stand up. He's one of your internationals. You just don't see him. Is Delan not the better one of the two as well? Really? Yeah, Delan's had a tough year. Yeah, though, like, personal, like I mean, he's had he's had his issues. Like I mean, I think he's going to need a bit of time to to get back. Hopefully, he has a good preseason. Um, Delan is an outstanding. Play for the Barbas though. Yeah. yeah, but he's he had he had he had tough time. Did he? Okay. Yeah. His, okay. his, his man passed away and stuff. So okay. Um, near the end of the season, so he was so he had a sort of a difficult time, and mm-hmm. you know. You, you can't really legislate for how well, tough What's, your, what's Qu- your read on the rude thing? Well, Quinn is a, he's a fantastic athlete, you know. Well, like, but, but on this issue, the wider, like the issue here for me is that, like, and I've said this for a long time, is I think like there's no better coach than Joe Schmidt. There isn't. I don't think so. I think what he gets out of the group, but he's cons- like his consistency pretty much everywhere he's gone, he's been, a, you know, he's been a success, right? Um, and he's outstanding. I know that from working. But I don't think he's a great selector. I think he, he'll get a weird idea and that's it. He's just written someone off. Or... He'll find something that he likes in a player, and he'll just like look like it's it's really hard to explain unless you've been in there in the camps. But I don't think he's a great selector. I really don't. Um, I think he's an unbelievable coach. I think he can get everyone singing off that same hymn sheet. I think he can bring the best out of a group, um, consistently. And I think is the way he drives standards means that you get brilliant consistency, especially it's something in Ireland that we haven't had for you know forever. We we've always been a team that can get up for one game but can't do two and three in a row. He's completely changed the landscape there. Um. But I, again, I come back to this issue. I think he's, he'll he'll find a reason to pick someone and he'll keep picking them. Um, and he doesn't always pick on form. And I don't think he's a great selector. I think uh, you'll find, he'll, you'll again, you'll have a few head scratchers always in his squad. But oftentimes he can bring the best out of those people. He brings more than they should be able to get out of them uh, or that you get out of them week on week. So Not really in this I don't case always have, no, he, not No, not always. Not always. But you'll get it every now and then when the team isn't like, you know, when, it's, when something's not firing, when you don't have all your... Like if you have one of these guys in who shouldn't be there, they can get away with it for a few games. Uh, it's only when you come up against a really good team somewhere that they get exposed and you go, actually, do you know what? I remember. He's, I know why that happened because he's not great. Um, but I think, like, it, it, like especially if you look at that pack, there's a there's a lot of really really good quality guys missing. Um, that really do you know they affect it. They make a big difference. You know, you've no Sean O'Brien, you've no Tyke Furlong really for the start. Obviously for the for the really important part of the game, you've no Keen Healy for the for a large proportion of the game. You have the sub hooker for Ulster. Um, 
you know, something behind a guy who I don't even think is the best hooker in the country, um, in in a two. So so straight away, like I think like there's load they can bring in a really really strong bunch of guys in there, and like I think that makes a big difference. All those guys are also ball players. All the, all those guys are also brilliant carriers. That changed the dynamic and the and the picture changed. And I think off the back of that, you might you know some guys mightn't get exposed, um, because the team is momentum. You know, you get momentum in the tight. The, the, the game flows far better it's far easier for your playmakers and everything looks different um, so we have to keep be conscious of that as well but I think he's not a great selector to get back to that point and I think they, he can hide a bad selector a bad selection if he has most of his team available to him but he didn't on the weekend and do you think would you have Cy Byrne in the 23 this weekend I would I think he's, I think that's on merit I think uh, you know he's made a tough decision he's coming from a place that are you know been pretty successful the last couple of years you know they've been in you know, uh, semi. Now I know they got beaten badly in, in both the final and the semi-final. I know they got glossed over with a few late tries um, in in the in the Pro 14 as well. But um, that'll be a tough decision for him to come back. Like he settled in really well there. I don't know if they were paying him great now, but um, tough to leave the Scarlets. But he came back to play for Ireland, and I think he's he, he was outstanding. He and he was consistently outstanding. I don't know whether Joe was thinking, look, he's probably a few things he needs to get up to speed with in camp. You know, the lingo, you know, the attitude, the habits that he tries to build into guys in there. So maybe that's what it is rather than that. Because I can't see another reason. Can you see another he's reason? He's got an incredible amount of minutes under his belt this mm. season because he was obviously yeah. wasn't away with yeah, Ireland. Yeah. So the Scarlets played him all the time. I think that probably played. Yeah, played him. But also... Luke's right like Joe's going to want him to earn his spot I'd be shocked if he wasn't in the 23 this week I can't see him starting unless Joe's going to look, look at him at a, as a 6 which I don't think he will this weekend mm. but I think it, last week would have been an ideal game I mean yeah. you talk about um, Hooper and Pocock at the breakdown if you had guys like Dan Levy and Tyg Byrne who are just turnover machines mm. that would have been a really really good battle and hopefully Dan Levy is fit for this week but yeah. I think Tyg Byrne might be might be on the bench with Dev Toner to come back with, with James Ryan maybe So he's yeah. very dynamic as well Like I, I mean I think yeah. he's a guy who like what I would say is and, and the danger with with, with opportunities like this, like this sorry, is that you put all these guys in um, you, you put all these guys in together and mm. it's a mess like and it's really unfair like you see it all the time like, oh, like one thing I always thought about Joe Schmidt is that he was really good at especially when he was at Leinster um, he didn't pull in all his young guys at the same time he usually had two or three of them in with you could be playing with Johnny Sexton some week you could be playing with Jamie Heasley you could be playing with you know Drico uh, you could be playing with Doris or whoever it may be and Carberry was in with the full strength backline yeah he wasn't he wasn't you know Gary Ringrose um, wow. you know but uh, yeah you're right he did but he also like it's uh, it comes with, it's the playmaking positions are a little bit different sorry that's why I was mentioning playing with Johnny Sexton playing with Drico the playmaking positions positions are very different because if you don't have the full packet with you Everything is different because if you're not getting momentum in the tight, if you don't have the best passer, you know, the, the, the best, especially in the pack now, it's become a big thing for me who can pass the ball. Like no tight furlong for the first 60 minutes. That's, that's, you're going to feel the pinch of that. You've no keen Healy for getting you that little bit of momentum and all of a sudden the defence is backtracking and you get a pass on the front foot with the defence backtracking. You don't get mm. 10 more of those opportunities than you would otherwise from Keane Healy, from Ty Furlong, from Sean Cronin making a break or from getting you, getting you a bit of go forward. You don't get those things, and it's really different. And you saw Conor Murray, like he didn't look himself because, as well, the pack was. If you don't have the first team pack uh, playing, playmaking positions, you have to you have to factor that into how those guys play. Because if every decision you make is under pressure, like you saw how many times we talked about early on, how many times you see Joey Carberry get smashed or someone right there as he's trying to pass. Like if if 
if the pack are making or are making inroads into the other team in the tight exchanges, or they're you know they've nice little intricate plays amongst themselves and they're making a half break, he doesn't have that. All of a sudden he goes, actually, yeah, give me the ball. I've got a little bit of time. And now the other guys are going, oh, actually, do we come forward? Do we stay back? The game is different. And even if they come forward, oftentimes it opens up really good kicking opportunities. You see that with 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 Johnny Sexton. Like I mean, he, if you give him a bit of go forward. Things open up everywhere for him, and everything looks way easier because the defenses have to give somewhere, um, and they don't have to do that if they're always on the front foot. So th- I think it is. It's a very important consideration to make with your playmakers, especially. I just want to cover the England game, Keen. We were talking about it off air earlier before I get your predictions, and we wrap up uh, 24-3 up after about twenty minutes. Ended up going in, I think twenty nine, twenty seven down at halftime. It was an absolutely wild first half and get in in Ellis Park. You know, the wheels do seem to be coming off a bit for Eddie Jones. Like he, uh, Talking about weird team selections with Joe Schmidt earlier, like Mike Brown on the wing, Henry Slade at 13 with no Alex Lazowski in, in the team at all. After usually picking three second rows in a starting team, he goes with two, obviously, at second row. No one on the bench to cover second row. Brad Shields just comes on you know, early on in that game as the second row cover ostensibly. It just seems to be a lot of perplexing decisions. They've now lost four test matches in a row, five games in a row, <laughs> if you include the Barbarians. So I know he was quick to clarify that that doesn't count on Sky Sports. Uh, what's your read on it at the moment? Yeah, it was, it was an absolutely mental game because when England went ahead, I was thinking, and they did, England looked so slick. I mean, we were talking about George Ford's mm. passing, like it was so good. Mike Brown had a really good game. Um, Elliot Daly before his howder, you know. Um but then, and I was, and at the same time, I was kind of thinking, geez, this Springbok team, Rassi Erasmus has got an incredibly difficult job in his hand. I think they had four or five first caps. But I was thinking, wow, like you know, they have a lot of work to do here, and obviously Ireland could play them in a quarter final. And then, I don't know, I, I don't, I actually don't know what happened. Like it's like England sort of just switched off, and something happened in in South Africa because the likes of Faf de Klerk like just had a huge impact on the game. Um, I thought Willie Larue as well. I mean, he's such a hot and cold player, but when he's honest, he's like we talked about Curtly Beal earlier. He's, going forward, he can't tackle. No, no, life, but, but, but he's bloody. But when he, but when they would go for a ball, he was oh, so so yeah, slick. He's smooth. Um, yeah, yeah. But yeah, it was it was bizarre. I mean, absolutely bizarre. I I couldn't believe that um that it gone from basically one to the other because I actually thought England were going to paste them when I saw it. But um yeah, I think you have to give credit. I mean, Rassi Rasmus is only in the door. I mean, lots of Irish fans are thinking, geez, it'd be great if we get South Africa in a potential World Cup quarter final. And now you're starting to think I still don't think they're a good team though. Just like the team not only the team sheet, but even the way they played that game, I just thought it was just a really kind of they were really up for it and it was a real momentum based performance. Like I don't know how sustainable that is. I don't think they have great players. I thought their skill level under pressure was poor. Some of their passing was absolutely shocking. Mm. They, they played, I guess, with a lot of emotion with Khaleesi, obviously. Yeah. You know, that was such a no, big a good deal. Player, to be fair. And a good I, player, I yeah. mean, um, Jean de Villiers was on TV before it, you know, and he was sort of talking about how this was much more than a rugby match. So you're probably right. They were probably playing a lot of emotion. But to go back to England, I mean, it's it's pretty remarkable because, you know, when Eddie Jones came in, we were thinking, like, these Who's guys. Stop them? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Mm. And now. It's it's totally switched. Like it's it's pretty much the same as the Ireland game. Almost like that. This second test is just going to be another cracker, isn't uh, it? It sounds like he's a kind of guy. I remember talking to uh, Corbusiero about this, um, and he was kind of t- he was telling me something that they were trying about these to to win one man rooks. It sounds like he's a bit of a tinkerer. Do you know that kind of way? Like he's tinkering with, you know, he's like it, it sounds like he's trying to be like really cutting edge, trying to change the thinking on some on on some fairly you know most teams they will accept. We need, you know, ball carrier plus two to, to win a ruck. Two ruckers, you know, and one ball carrier. Or, you know, maybe uh, one more to nest if you're trying to be safe and you're trying to retain the ball, you're trying to be really careful. 
but he said like he's tinkering. You can see in the team selections, mm. you know, like it is like there's some odd ones there. Like I think the George Ford thing always. I think looks his good. team selections all over the place. I agree. That's what I'm saying to you. Like yeah. I think he seems like he's tinkering around with like he's he's made his decision when the team's going well, and they look settled. But then like he's dropping guys, and then you're like he's dropping guys who are really good for him. Like Haskell has been nowhere to be seen, uh, who was a big big player from them. I know he was out for a long time with that toe injury, but. A few things that like it looks like you know, Billy Vinopolo is a big loss for them. Um, you know, during Six Nations especially, he hasn't um, looked the same player since he's come back. Yet, no, has he? he looks he a little bit. Looks, fit. I yeah. think he looks like a guy who needs a bit of time yeah. to be fit because mm. he's such a big man. Like you know, he needs game time. Um, I think Saracens, you know, run a fairly good ship there in terms of the fitness side of things. Um, I, I think for them long term, I think they've messed around a bit with having Farrell and Ford. Um, I don't know why you have Ford there. To be honest, I think the distribution. Um, I think for me doesn't actually it's it, you know the, the difference in distribution between himself and, and and Farrell is actually fairly small um I think you know he probably is a little bit more polished but I do feel like you know for what you get in Farrell in terms of defensively um you know I think he's you know he's kicking like he doesn't even goal kick for them like so there's a massive there's a marked difference between the two guys in terms of percentage goal kicking was like 10 or 15 percent nearly I think at international level I don't know why he doesn't pick him. You should just pick Farrell. Like the team will will have a way better balance there, and you could pick. Then you've got to, then then the team straight away defensively you're really solid, and and I think off the back of that as well, I think you can you can pick a, a center combination with better balance. You know you could go with To if you want at twelve. He's not a thirteen, but he could be a he, he could be a really good twelve for you. Give you a nice. You could work a lot of plays around him where you have him being very very direct. He's very dangerous there as well, and he's a lovely defender. But you could put in Slade there. You could put in, you know, Jonathan you have lots Joseph. of different. You could put Noel at thirteen. You have Jonathan Joseph at thirteen. You have all these de- different options in the centre that I think they're missing because they've decided that this having these two tens there makes a big, big difference here. And I think that's a mistake, to be honest. I think um, they're they're making a mistake in that area, and it's hurting them. Well, another interesting thing, you know, when we leave the tactics and the team selection aside, is just Eddie Jones himself and his role and his presence. And a lot of the success initially was built on. Kind of his personality, you know, his. Do you think his demeanor has changed? Well, I do. See, when you have a personality like that, a Mourinho kind of figure, where your 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 whole act is based on being successful and being a front runner and being a bit arrogant. But when you're losing, you just can't do it. It just mm. doesn't work when you're losing. Like you can't go and be smug with the press and be cheeky when you're on five defeats in a row. The whole thing starts to unravel and it becomes a distraction, you know, and it it becomes like. You know, a negative then almost. It's a very high wire act, in my opinion, when you when you when that's your public persona. Do you think as well though? I mean, it'd be interesting to get Keane's opinion on this one. I, I always think I, I I think it can be a nice way though of taking attention off, well, like taking attention and pressure off the team when it's not performing. If you're all talking about Mourinho, like I always thought. That was my view on it. I always thought Mourinho said something silly or threw a little tantrum or whatever it was to detract from to take away take a bit of pressure off the team that are obviously feeling the heat now that they've lost five games in a row I, I, do, am I, am I do, thinking do am think, I too oh, hot like, certainly in the football context right. I don't know if it, wor- if it works what do you think I, I think I he's mean, quite honest after the games I quite he, like him after the games is, but I mean the, like Will said he was unbelievably spiky before the game and un- so unnecessary about you know not counting the Babas game as a real ga- the game so, and that, that that's fine and all at the bravado but I wonder at what point like Will says when it's not going right do the players sort of Start to you know start to I don't know, question what's going on here and things like and that. And surely within that changing room now, 
with the way that with the way the injuries are racking up in these training yeah. sessions, I'd be surprised if there's not a bit of discontent festering or a bit of second guessing. Maybe not discontent, but second guessing about how we're going about it. Paul Guster jumping ship mm. a year out from the World Cup. I don't think there's a chance in hell Andy Farrell would leave this Ireland set up a year out from the World Cup to take a head coaching job, no matter who it was. Look at Greg Feek. I mean, he's obviously, you know, going to be double jobbing, but he's not walking away. And I think, you know, there's an interesting point there as well that he, I presume, could have walked away because they're trying to get him now. But Eddie Jones is known for flogging the players. It's great. Actually, a friend of mine sent me on a quote from, you know, Phil Kearns, this uh, Australian pundit uh, that he, 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 was, he was speaking in the test series when they beat Australia 3-0. And he was like, Eddie Jones will make them but he'll break them. Mm. I think he'll give them a two-year bounce or a one-year bounce, but the, the interesting thing will be if he can just say... He actually said it so... What he said has actually come to pass mm. exactly that he... he He's such a high intensity style, or perhaps it's his his boat, his package, and the way he trains his team that it's good for short term. But I actually think they're only going one way up until the World Cup, and that's downwards. I actually think it sounds like this. Well, though, do, do you, I don't know if you guys think this, but I think it sounds like he was he was trying to get in. So, like, obviously, there's a the little bit. I heard a little bit about the one man rooking thing, and I was thinking, yeah, good luck with that, because as soon as teams see you doing that regularly, they're going to absolutely clean you. They're just going to pile into the first couple of rooks, and you get no momentum for the whole game, even if they don't pilfer it off you. You'll never get a chance to use your extra number that you're trying to get to attack with. But leaving that aside, like the, um, you know, uh, the extra bit of fitness, like, I mean, yeah, they're probably, you know, you, I could probably think of a few clubs in the UK that are maybe just, you know, and some of the lower clubs. Like, I think when you when you get it, when you're picking from whatever, is it 12, four, four, is it 14 teams in the, in the Premiership? 12. 12, sorry. If you're picking from 12 teams for one country, um, it's a lot of teams. Uh, and you'll get like varying different levels of strength and conditioning programs. So you get some people who are probably in really good shape, some people who are in poor, poor shape comparatively. You'd think the Saris lads, the extra lads will be really fit, but you might get a team like, uh, you know, a Worcester, uh, where Ben Teo's playing, and uh, they might be, you know, fairly backward there. They might be still getting, trying to get up to speed on that front. So I, I get what he was probably trying to do, but like he's trying to get an edge there. Like he was talking about trying to up, so like they were really, really fit in their year, but he also he was trying to get another level out of them. Um, in training, did you read any of this? Well, yeah, but he, introduced, but he introduced judo, like in all this sort of like mad stuff. That, like you said, he's looking for that extra. But yeah, yeah is, it, is it going you too far? That's, it, it comes back to the tinkering thing. You're like, yeah. look, yeah, you always want to be trying to get an edge somewhere. But there comes a point where the guys are fit enough, and like at that level, like you don't get twenty percent fitter. You might get like two percent fitter, and you notice a huge difference. Yeah, like two percent, and that's where you're going. Like, and that's not just running fitness. That's you like where you get the two percent at that level is, you 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 bring in like in, in Ireland they bring in a sleep specialist. They say you know if we can get an extra you know you know two or three hours really good sleep during the week, that is you know twenty you know two or three more hours where we're re releasing that really good growth hormone that you get when you get that really good REM sleep, that could make them a little bit stronger, a little bit fitter. You know, let's let's look at their diet. Let's look at their uh, their fat makeup and can we reduce a little bit of that? Get a little bit more out of them per kilo for power and all, all of a sudden they can that's where you get to with this you don't go lads we have run you know 5k here but now we need to run 6k because we need to get this extra 20 percent out of you like that's not how it works Do you know what i mean it's just not you don't try and get five or 6k out of guys who are sorry 6k out of guys who've been running 5k who are already at the top at the peak they've been they were the number one or number two team in the world you don't try and do that and i get the sense that he could have that that's what he could have been trying which is worrying. Like, I think, like, that's not how it works at that level. It's one or two percents. They make a big difference. That's what New Zealand are operating on. They're, look, they have some amazing athletes. Fate, let's stand. They have massive playing numbers, and it's their national game. Leaving all that aside, it's small things with them. 
Like they'll they'll get little one percenters all the time. They get these little decisions because they've managed the referee better, or they have you know got someone new. They like they're they might new some new technology that allows them to understand a bit more about their players. That's that's where these guys are operating. That's where all the best teams in sport operate. I think is that little one two percent, not twenty percent. When I heard that, I was thinking, Jesus, that's that's a bit drastic. Now maybe that's for the press, but. Do you, do, you, do you agree yeah, with me? I mean, yeah, you yeah. guys have been around sports for yeah. forever, like, and you're watching it all the time. Like, the difference between Dublin and Kerry or Dublin and Mayo... It's not 20%. It's not 20%, but it's probably 1% or 2%. Mm. And they're, what are they, beating them two or three years in a row? Like, mm. and, you know, they look like the better team. Now, it's close margins, but they never look like losing them. And just to wrap up, we're going to get quick predictions for this weekend, Keen. Ireland-Australia's second test. Will Ireland level the series or will it be all over 2-0? I think Ireland will level it. I think with their full guns back, like we like we go back to the very start of the show, we said that wasn't Ireland's first team. I think different animal with the likes of Johnny Sexton back, and yeah, I'd reckon they, they'd level it. Oh, me, we'll obviously, am I up next? Uh, I was hoping not. Um, well, I'll go first. Yeah, I think I, they'll level it too. Yeah, you think they'll level it? I yeah. think they'll lose it. Do you? 2 mm. 0. Mm-hmm. Why? Why? Just give me your quick. Uh, I would have seen under. I think there'll be some weird selections again. <laughs> um, Quinn Roo captains aside at second row. <laughs> I think he'll, yeah, I think there'll be a few odd ones. I think, in fairness, it isn't that important for us. It's like we're already qualified. The seedings, you know, all that stuff matters after the World Cup for the next group stage. Um, he should be trying things. I think it's a good time to try things, and I think he should. But I think he might make one or two mistakes with it. I think he might try the wrong people. Um, and I think, as well, um, it's really hard to beat teams away from home. Uh, I think they'll have a, they'll have real trouble with that back row if Dan Levy's not back. Um, uh, they're they're a nightmare. They're really difficult at home, and I think they'll be up for it. Um, and it looks like they're playing good rugby. Um, uh, you know, I think he has he has, to, he has to make a lot of decisions in terms of selections that I don't know if he will make them all. Like he has to pick Ringrose at thirteen, but Willie, I don't know. Um, he likes the big guys in there. You know, Willie pick Willie pick Rob a full back. Um, you know, there's pros and cons with not picking him, but it might be a good opportunity to pick someone else there. Um, because he's short now. He's short with 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 Zebo Gam. I think he should pick Carberry. Um, but I don't know if he, I don't think he will. Um and I th- I don't know if he's gonna pick in the front row. I think he m- I don't think he'll pick Crown. I have a weird feeling he won't pick Crown. And I think he like he should be probably picking Dev and James Ryan. They're the best combination, but it's really hard to leave Henderson out because he's so dynamic. Um and then the back row kind of picks itself really if if Levy's fit because I thought Peter Manny was brilliant on the weekend um, very good in the line end as well a few lovely touches but that's where I'm at Will I know I went through pretty much the whole team there but um, you know me you can't stop me when I get One started one sentence answer well, like, I, I, think, I think they're hard to beat man they've, they've got a nice balance they've got good, really good players in really good positions I like Guinea he looks like he's playing playing well again mm. Back row is really, really good. They compete well at scrum time. Although I don't think they'll do as good a job against Ireland when if they pick Ty Furlong and uh, and Keane Healy. Uh, Falau at full back, like having a good full back, and the two guys in the wings are really good athletes. Um, you know, if Ireland can get momentum, they might be able to expose them with kicking in behind, but they never got that opportunity because the defence was so good. Um, and I think with Pocock and Hooper still fit, like they'll they'll be a nightmare there again. Now they'll be good defensively again. So. It's difficult. It's a difficult one for Ireland to win. Like, don't underestimate. Like those guys, they beat New Zealand in their last game there as well. Like they're bloody good at home, and they're they're the only team really for me. Bar I mean South Africa the last couple of years have been nowhere near. But um, Australia, the only team that consistently beat New Zealand maybe once a year. You know, they're pretty good at it. On that note, Luke Keane, thanks so much for joining me. Cheers, lads.
That's all we have time for on the left wing this week. Thank you so much for listening. We will be back next week with another podcast to review all the second test action. And in the meantime, you can subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, or listen on independent.ie. So until next week, thanks for listening and goodbye. Leia Healthcare. It's good to live. Proud sponsor of The Left Wing with Luke Fitzgerald.